Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Teacher Talk Radio with me, Seb, on the Drive Home Show. Today, we're going to be talking to James Nottingham about the learning pit. How do you challenge students to be uncomfortable with what they need to know? Also, I'll be chatting with Gemma Clark, who is uh, uh, a teacher who has used Band Books Week in her school. Something you've used? We'll find out on the show today. So as usual, get in touch. Good afternoon and welcome back. Um, apologies for the show last week. I had a severe technical difficulty, um, which meant I couldn't do the show, which I was really sad about. But the good news is I've managed to uh, get my guest from last week to move uh, on to this week's show. So nobody's missed out. Uh, Gemma will get the chance to tell you all about how she does Band Books Week, how she uses that with her students. Um, and hopefully we can get a discussion going about the value of such a week. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone knows about it or you used it here. I think it's a bit of a US phenomenon, but maybe many people here in the UK may use it. Uh, it might be a primary thing. I'm not sure. But let us know. Get in touch as usual. Uh, press call in uh, or message me on the chat, on the text um, and get involved. It's the 7th of October and it's beginning to get towards the end of term. So I hope everyone's feeling pretty knackered, which you probably all are. But remember, it's only a few weeks to go. We're nearly there. I've just got to push through another week. Um, yeah, so as well as Gemma, who will be on the show a little bit later, probably around five o'clock after the news. Before that, I'm going to be talking to James Nottingham. Now, James Nottingham is the creator of The Learning Pit. So you may have uh, seen this or heard of it. I've certainly heard of it before, um, but I've never necessarily used it myself or uh, been at a school where it's been uh, promoted or championed. But maybe it is more commonplace than I realise. He is certainly... Um, this is certainly a global brand that James has built. Um, you look on his website, he does all sorts of work across the world with the Learning Pit and the Learning Challenge. So I'm going to be talking to him a little bit about that um, in a short while. But essentially what we need to know, first of all, is any of you people out there, do you use the Learning Pit? Is it something you've done before at your school in the past? Is something you use now? Uh, is it something you've tried? Uh, you maybe have criticisms of it. Or maybe it's something you think is absolutely amazing and more people should use it. But, you know, Teachers Talk Radio, we're all about opinions. So feel free to get involved. And um, there's a brilliant show last week uh, about booklets. Uh, Emily's show where it provoked a lot of debate uh, on something quite simple, really, just a booklet. The idea of using booklets and it created a massive debate. There's about five or six people all, all talking uh, about it all at the same time. I got involved. I waded in. Uh, Tom was there. Mark Henser got involved. So it just goes to show a simple, simple topic uh, in our profession can divide and uh, divide everyone, really, and put everyone into different camps, because ultimately we all do different subjects. We all teach different key stages uh, and we're all teachers of different lengths of experience, different cultures. There's so many different factors um, that I think that is what makes Teachers Talk Radio exciting. That's what makes our job exciting is that, you know, there's not one way to do it. And there's lots of research out there. But of course, we all know it's a lot of it. The best teaching is, is you learn it on the job in the classroom. So welcome to all the people who've joined me today. I hope you're well. Um, it's uh, four o'clock, just after four o'clock on this Thursday drive home. 
Uh, we've got two brilliant guests that we're going to be talking to um, on the show about the Learning Pit and also about Band Books Week, which I, again, didn't know anything about this until I uh, was contacted by Gemma about being on the show. Um, and so I did a bit of digging and essentially it's a fantastic week. Uh, um, I think it's from America this started where they, you introduce students to books that are actually banned or have been banned either in this country or usually elsewhere. And then you use that to get kids excited about reading by saying, oh, it's banned, it's banned. And that obviously can get kids really excited to feel like they're doing something a little bit naughty. Um, but then obviously you then get into the reasons why. So I think Harry Potter was even one on there um, for different reasons. And there's obviously lots of um, issues with depictions of gay or lesbian characters, etc., um, being a big reason why some countries and some cultures uh, have banned certain books because of the, you know, seen as promoting that kind of, um, those attitudes. And therefore, if a character in a book, even though it is a story, guys, um, then it wasn't seen as happy. And that got me thinking about banned films, um, Clockwork Orange and things like that, that had been banned in the past and then weren't anymore. And perhaps the fact a lot of that is to do with changing cultural attitudes. Um, and also the other way around, isn't it? You, you see a lot of things now, films with warnings, because they are, you know, completely culturally insensitive to us in 2021, uh, maybe acceptable, more acceptable in the 80s. And therefore, you know, I noticed it the other day, a film saying, please note this may cause offence. So it can work both ways. Um, but what, should we have a banner book? I'm not really sure about that. I think it's a very risky territory but obviously this is a this is an idea to promote the idea of banned books so that students can be introduced to the idea of censorship introduced to the maybe the reasons why they're banned and what that means to them and their belief systems so i think it's a really really interesting thing so Gemma's going to be on later we're going to talk about that but if you have done banned books week in your school i think it was actually last week um uh yeah which is why Gemma was supposed to be on the show but obviously i had a few problems so yeah, so you obviously probably finished it now if you do do it, but let me know how it went. Do you do it? Or is it something you want to know a bit more about? In which case, stay tuned um, because Gemma will be on in a little while. Now, I'm managing to do this show today, so I'm very happy that I've managed to get back on the airwaves and have you with me, but I am operating on a Chromebook today so um, for the first time. So this is an experiment for me. I've got silly little headphones in, uh, not my normal ones. Uh, I've got my normal mic, uh, but this setup is a little bit different. So if my jingles or my links are not as smooth as normal, please uh, forgive me for today because I'm just getting to know a slightly different way of doing it. Uh, so, um, yeah, get in touch. Tell us how your week's been. Um, if you've got anything to add on Bam Books Week, give me a message or a text. Is it something you've done yourself? And also, because um, we're going to come to that bit later in the show, um, also, I want to know about the learning pit. OK, so have you used this uh, concept of the learning pit or the learning challenge? Um, it has lots of links to thinking hard, growth mindset, uh, all the proximal, proximal development stuff, uh, a theory. Um, but obviously it's about making people struggle essentially to then get out of that pit or that that uh, the, when we all find a struggle and we all find something hard. Obviously, that's where you learn and that's where you have to be resilient and then getting yourself out of that pit to the other side. Um, but obviously, I don't know a lot about it. I'm not the expert. Uh, James is the expert. So hopefully, James, um, in a, in about 10 minutes or so, will be calling in, um, and we can get to know um, what it's all about. So yeah, two two things that 
are out there in the world of education. Two things that I'm not overly familiar with, but two things that I'd love to talk about today and I'm excited to talk about with my guests and thanks to them for giving up their time and two topics for you guys to join the debate, join the conversation. So you can either call in um, with my guests or after my guests using the Podbean app, clicking the call in button as usual, or uh, you might want to just send me a little text through the message function uh, and just put your opinion on there if you're if you're a bit scared to call in or maybe you're just busy. But just let me know what you're doing. I always like to know what people are doing. Obviously, this I'm in London. It's a kind of dry, boring kind of weather day today. Um, it's coming to two weeks before the end of term. Um, but are you still at work? I've raced home to do my show, but are you still at work working or are you driving home? Uh, are you stuck in traffic? Uh, are you going to stay at work for a while? I know a lot of people have had open days, haven't they, the last few weeks? Certainly near me in secondary schools, uh, a lot of schools have had their open mornings on a Saturday. Um, and I'd be interested to know about that as well. Do you, how many people get time back? I know schools I've worked in, we'd finish on early on a Friday uh, so that we could get a few hours back, but it was directed time. So we, we were told we had to come in, but we got a bit of time back. I've been at other schools where they give staff the Monday morning off. Um, but increasingly, it seems that a lot of staff have been asked to do open days, um, but not necessarily getting any time back. So that's also an interesting debate. So is that you? Do you feel aggrieved about that or not? Or was your open day? Do you feel that's part of your, you know, your um, responsibility to do it, to help, you know, get the school, keep the numbers high and keep, you know, keep you in a job, essentially. If you don't have any kids, you haven't got a job, have you? So, yeah, I suppose we all got to, we've all got to promote our, our places of work. But it's just interesting in, in the, the well-being angle on that. Uh, so, yeah, like I say, James will be on shortly. I will just going to try. I'm going to hopefully try and just do a quick ad break and hope that this is not going to go wrong. Otherwise, I'll be in trouble with those uh, their bosses above. But, um, yeah, let's give the adverts a try. Need support with your phonics teaching. Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the Mal CPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the assertive leadership and the emotionally intelligent leader courses. All Mal CPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. 
Right, okay, good. That went smoothly. So uh, that keeps me in everyone's good books at Teacher Talk Radio. Uh, so that's good. So I know that's worked. Um, yeah, good. So welcome back to everyone. Uh, if you're just joining us, um, any moment now, I'll be speaking to James Nottingham, who is the creator uh, of The Learning Pit um, and also uh, The Learning Challenge. So I'm going to be discussing with him some of it, well, how he started it all, how it's going and what he hopes teachers will get out of that. Um, so that will be in any moment now. Um, in the meantime, oh, James, I'm in a bit of trouble there. Just need to click on the calling button. James, it, it worked earlier uh, when you did it and I didn't let you in because it was a bit early. So click it again, click the call in and I will allow you into the studio just like a Zoom call. Uh, so you don't need to click any link. Just click the call in button uh, on the Podbean player. So hopefully in a minute now, James will be uh, with, a, with us. But in the meantime, I'll just give you a bit of background. Um, uh, on the learning pit. So obviously the learning pit uh, was started quite a while ago. Um, and from there, it's obviously grown and grown. He's, I think he's trademarked this, this term. And, and now the website is called the learning challenge. Um, and that is slightly, um, oh, he said, I've tried every call in button. Well, I, I don't know what to suggest there, James. Um, there should just be a call in button on the, on the pod bean. You did do it at four o'clock when I started the show because it came up and it said, do you want to let James in? So if you can do whatever you did at the beginning again, and I just need to admit you to the studio, but I need you to do that so that I can actually uh, uh, allow you in. Sorry about this, everyone, a bit of a technical trouble. Um, but yeah, just click there. There should be a, a green a sort of circular icon. Just have a little look. If anyone's listening into James and wants to send him a message and help him, Oh, here he comes. That's it, James. I'm going to let you in now. Uh, he seems to have found the button, so we're all good. Um, James, are you there? Hello. Hello. Sorry about that. That's oh, all right. I had to, it turned out I had to hang up first. Oh, yes, because you'd called earlier, and then it was probably still feeling uh, like it was on okay. a call. Well, nice to join you. Yes, good. Well, that's, that was a challenge. That's what you want, isn't it, James? A little, a little struggle? Yeah, yeah. Apparently. Apparently. Okay, so great. Thanks for joining us, um, first of all. And um, obviously, like I say, I'm no expert at all on what you do. Um, I've literally only started looking into it recently uh, since I knew you were coming on the show. So do you want to just give us a little short bit of background about uh, sort of contextualise how you started The Learning Pit and, and where that came from? Sure. Um, well, thanks, first of all, for the invitation. It's good to be with you. Um, uh, I started the Learning Pit, um, it would be late 90s when I was a uh, classroom teacher. Um, at the time, I had a year five class. And um, these kids, they had challenging lives outside um, of the school. But in school, they seemed to want to play things a bit safe. And and they they... Uh, gave up quite easily and quite quickly if they faced any challenges. And um, I knew that um, they would learn more if they would step out of their comfort zone, but they just didn't seem willing to as much as I had hoped. And so I tried various things to encourage them. And of course, a part of that is praise, part of it is encouragement, part of it was demonstration. And then I thought, well, maybe if I um, give them some sort of diagram about learning, that might help. Yeah. It was very, very, very early days of the so-called brain-based learning. And, yeah. 
and so on. I'm not quite sure what other type of learning there is, but um, this was early days of that. And so I tried different things and nothing really seemed to hit home particularly well. It didn't seem to grab their imagination. And I tried Vygotsky's Zone of Proximal Development and I drew like, <laughs> like some sort of egg. Uh, yes, yeah, egg shape, yeah. On, on the blackboard as was then. I mean, this shows you how, how oh, yeah. it was. And again, I mean, they, you know, they kind of got it, but, um, and then in conversations, I was using philosophy for children. That was what I majored in when I trained to be a teacher. And, and I, they said, but why do you always try to make it harder for us? Why don't you just say, yes, that's right. I said, well, it's more about trying to find out more from you and let's explore and think of other ideas and let's share those ideas with each other and let's um, be open to that questioning. And, and I drew on the board this idea, look, you, you, where you start, we often get worse before we get better. We, when we try something new, when we try something different, if we have a, a straightforward answer and then people challenge you and question you and say, well, what about this and what about that? Um, then you start scratching your head a little bit more and wonder, well, is it right or not? So, for example, we all know that an odd number cannot be divided by two, but yet we can take any odd number of things and we can split them between our friends and between another friend. So that you can split odd numbers of things between two people. And yet in maths, we say we can't. So yeah. we start to get a bit puzzled. And so often we feel a sense of confusion and we feel as if things are getting worse. And you, you see this particularly in PE where, you know, you, you get a bit of beginner's luck and then you think, oh, this is great. I've got this. I was born for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It just gets worse all of a sudden. You know, when, when as the PE teacher says, right, now use your, your non-dominant arm or non-dominant. Yeah. Yes. Try yes. this. It's like, ah, it's not working. And, you know, um, and yeah, so no. it's on the board, like you get worse before you get better. And um, one of the kids there, where it looks like a pit, that. Now, whether this was because this was an ex coal mining town, I don't know, but it just kind of captured my imagination, captured their imagination, and I built it a little bit more. And, well, let's call this the learning pit. And we drew it out. And, um, it, yeah, the kids got it. And we'd go home and say, oh, I'm in the pit. And and we, we would – and that's it. That I mean, you know. That, that's how it grew. It grew from there, basically. That was it until – I started being invited to speak at Philosophy for Children conferences and train people in Philosophy for Children because Channel 4 had made a film of me using uh, Philosophy for Children. And I mentioned the learning pit in that, and it's just a very, very rough, hand-drawn thing. And but teachers went, oh, yeah, that works, that works, and off it went. And it just grew a life of its own. And, and then I, I went into leadership, and then I, I set up a, a regeneration project. And so the learning pick became something very, what shall we say, it just had a life of its own. I didn't yeah, leave it, just yeah. off it went. And now if you do a, a search online, you know, 200 million results come back in. Yeah, crazy, yeah. But you you obviously hit a nerve, I think. You know, there, there was obviously a, an appetite for, you know, the, you know that area of challenge. Because obviously there's links here, isn't there, with, you know, growth mindset and, and all the Professor Coe stuff about thinking hard. That, you know, it's, it's one thing that I'm very passionate about, that, you know, kids should, should be pushed as hard as they can be. Yes. Uh, but um, it's easier said than done because people tend to sort of stay safe, don't they, within... Yes because of the problems, like you say, the, the negativity that comes with struggle and, mm. 
uh, cognitive conflict, I guess. So how did you go from, you know, this kind of explosion of you obviously tapped in something that was neat, And then how did you kind of, you know, get that into schools or, or, or how many schools, how does it get used by schools? Do you know? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, tens of thousands. It, it's just mm-hmm. insane. You, you know, we've, we've worked with schools around the world and again and again and again, I go to a country that I've never been to and I walk into a school to work with them and there's learning pit illustrations on the walls. And right. it, this is, this is insane. So, yeah, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it? It's not, I've got it into schools. That's not, no, it, it, no. it's just gathered a momentum and yeah. It's, it's grown a life of its own. And I mean, the, the people you mentioned there, I mean, Carol Dweck, for example, I, um, she's a good friend of mine and we go on tour many, many times. And I think what a lot of people don't know about her research on growth mindset is actually her PhD was on nothing at all to do with humans. It was to do with learned helplessness in animals. Right, and she identified and 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 investigated this phenomenon where, when you give animals everything that they possibly need, their their behaviours change. They stop seeking. They stop searching. They stop um, hunting. In effect, mm-hmm. and she, after publishing a PhD, she then thought, "I wonder if the same thing happens with kids." and for her context, um, it was the self-esteem movement was growing yeah. um, in the U.S. at the time, where it was pretty much a good job for everything. You know, no matter yeah, what, yeah, they, yeah. you know, um, they let off wind. Good job, you know. They, they <laughs> up their faces. Yeah. You know, good job. And it became like the, we moved from I don't know the exact decades, but let's say fifties, sixties, mm. where kids were seen and not heard. To by the eighties, they were being put on a pedestal, and um, it and and this self esteem movement. Dweck found significant links between this learned helplessness in animals and this overpraise with children, where if we give them everything they need, they don't need to seek. They don't need to search. And that has um, uh, a negative impact on, for example, problem-solving, resilience, determination. And, and yeah. in fact, I mean, go to growth mindset. Um, one of the first things I'll say if I work with a school on growth mindset is, listen, it doesn't matter. Growth mindset does not matter at all unless you are challenged. If things are going easy, if you know what you're doing, if you are in your comfort zone, if you're in a state of flow, growth mindset barely registers in your mind. It's only when you fail or you struggle or you start thinking, I'm about to fail, so what? How can I explain it and what shall I do? That's when growth mindset becomes really, really powerful. So there are many, many, many um, links here. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, because it's all um, what I like about it is, well, I mean, I've only just started looking into it, but what I quite like is the links again with the, you know, the metacognition, because ultimately, you know, lots of schools will say they do growth mindset or they're looking at trying to improve metacognition. But ultimately, it's that thing of people knowing, isn't it, about what, what they can and can't do, how they can get better at something, what, what the blockers are. You know, and that's all about individual, is everyone's on their individual journey, aren't they, basically, with that. Yeah. We, every classroom with every subject um all the yeah. time yes yes absolutely for sure and how that all sort of and you know the, the learning pit is is not some catch-all model it is purely no. and simply a metaphor to help children think about and talk about their learning that's it 
Yeah. It just so yeah. happens to have caught the zeitgeist and people seem mm. to enjoy it. But, you know, use whatever you like. I mean, some people say, oh, the learning pit is a bit negative. Why can't we use, like, say, the, a mountain of learning? I said, look, crack on, use whatever you want. It's just I think the learning pit has caught people's imagination because actually, yeah. when you are struggling, when you are confused, you do have that sense of foreboding. You do have that sense of frustration. And I don't think that's similar to being at the top of a mountain, being able to no, see no, for miles around. I think that is akin to... No, I think you're right. Bit. No, I think you're right because I think ultimately that feeling of... It is a going down feeling, isn't it, of struggling, not being able to do something. It is kind of negative at that point yeah. of how you feel, like learning to drive a car. You know, it is frustrating. But but I agree with you. I don't think it, the mountain metaphor doesn't really work as much for me. It might do when you get to the top, but you, you're going up in small steps. That's more like scaffolding, isn't it? Yeah, but absolutely. You're not, you're not talking about that. You're talking about plunging people into that zone, yes. if you like, yes. to come out the other side um better yes. off i guess yeah and uh, absolutely right absolutely and when you come out of the learning pit there's that sense of achievement i mean you know call it the eureka moment if you like it's that yeah. sense woohoo i got it and then you start looking at research let's say dylan williams work and mm -hmm. we all know his name from assessment for learning but if you look at his work and he's absolutely crystal clear if students do not have to work hard to make sense of what they are learning, they are less likely to remember it in six weeks' time. Of course, yeah, you know? obviously. Yeah, and then you yeah. look at the role of mistakes, and this is some fascinating research where they, they compared, and this is 47 different studies on, on um, the role of mistakes in classrooms, and they split these kids. This is 47 different studies at different times, different countries, different age groups, and what they did was they randomly split kids into two groups, one group were given direct instruction. That's the typical way we teach in maths, right? Here's how to do long division. Here's how you do it, right? I'm going to do a few worked examples on the board. Then I'm going to ask you to go and try it out. And then uh, we'll see what answers you get and I'll mark them. That's a typical direct instruction. And then the other group were given a much shorter and smaller amount of information. And then they went and tried it. And when they made mistakes, it was the mistakes that were then used as the teaching point. So, look, why is this wrong? What, what went wrong here? What can we do to change that? And so what they did was they compared these, these groups before and after. They gave them tests immediately after the teaching. And both groups did well. The mistake group, or the productive mistakes group, if you want to call them that, did ever so slightly better. But there wasn't much of a difference, but they did ever so slightly better. But here's the clincher. Six weeks later, the productive mistakes group did much, much better than yeah, the direct instruction. And get this, six months later, the <laughs> productive mistakes kids could still do it, whereas most of the direct instruction kids couldn't. Interesting. That not that, but don't you think, would you call that, and I might be wrong here, but would you call that more, is that what people would typically refer to as more discovery learning, or is that not? Because I, I'm seeing more and more in schools over the last few years a, a, a preference for the direct instruction, a preference for, you know, lots and lots of input and less, yeah. I'm seeing less and less of, you know, risk taking, yeah. not, not, not for the yeah. sake of experiments or being wacky, but 
mm. exactly what you're yeah. talking about about learning mm. from mistakes trying it out and mm. what, what, yeah, it's what, not an either or though of course no. and, and we all know that um what works for one kid doesn't work for another what works for one class no, doesn't work no. for another so direct instruction actually is superb particularly if what you are doing is moving them from knowing nothing to knowing some stuff Right, right. But the productive mistakes approach is much, much better for moving from some stuff to understanding that stuff. Right. And that's the biggest difference. And in, in effect, it's moving from surface to deep or from knowledge yeah. to understanding. That's when the productive mistakes work. But it, 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 you have to do direct instruction. Oh, you don't have to because you can get the kids researching and find. But... The, it, it is about the, the right time, the right place. But for me, this idea, of it's that long term. If you want kids to pass the test next week, forget everything and just drill them. Uh-huh, yeah, just drill them. Yeah. If yeah, they're, not, gonna, they're not learning it, are they? Yeah, that's, just, exactly. that's just recall, isn't it, exactly. really? Yeah, but, but, you know, that's what most tests test. I mean, if they've got mm. SATs next week and if they've got their, their national fives next week, for example, then hell, just drill them. Yeah. But we know that we are not here just to get them to pass the test. I mean, grades are important. And we, we, I'm, I, I was listening at the beginning of your show about numbers of kids. If you don't get good grades in your school, the numbers yeah. of kids in your school will eventually drop, particularly if you've got slightly switched on or aspirational parents. Things will, will affect yeah. you. That's so you've got to get good grades. Yeah. But we also know good grades are not sufficient what we also have to do is help them to be imaginative and curious and resilient and determined and know how to problem solve etc 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 and so this is a case of let's teach them in such a way that they will pass the test next week but they will also remember it in six weeks time six months time six years time and it will also be a part of their psyche because they will be saying and here's the uh, the phrase that every single time carol dweck and i go on tour together she uses this phrase and that is i can figure this out that's growth mindset in a nutshell if you've got kids saying i can figure this out not i can do it not i'm the best not i'm the worst but i can figure this out that's growth mindset in a nutshell and so that's what i'm aiming for with the learning pit is by guiding them, by challenging them, by encouraging them through the learning pit, when they come out of the learning pit, they will be thinking, well, look at me, I figured it out. Or we figured it out if it's a collaborative thing. The more you do that, the more you build this sense of self-esteem, the sense of self-efficacy that that term is bouncing around these days, you know, that I can influence outcomes. The more you've got your students, your pupils, and indeed, staff if there's any leaders listening the more you get people thinking we can figure this out yeah absolutely anyone else i'll keep you on this on the line for a few more minutes james if that's okay anyone else out there who uh uses the learning pit or wants to know more uh or is interested in it please just send me a message or you can obviously call in and i i'm interested to know because i looked at your website obviously before the show to get a bit of background can you just sort of distinguish the difference for the listeners because If you go to your website, obviously, it's the learning challenge. So what's the distinction between the pit and the learning challenge, James? Can you sort of Once the learning pit had become so popular, people then started asking me, so how do we place it at the heart of uh, our lesson? So not just 
of a reference point, not just a metaphor, not just a poster on the wall. Yeah. How yeah. do we shape lessons around this? And so that's when I added four stages to it, and that is um, concept, so you identify a key concept that you're going to think about. Conflict, so that's create cognitive conflict so that students have got lots of ideas buzzing around in their head at the same time. Construct, so that's where they deal with all of that information. They work out, do we group it? Do we paraphrase it? Do we rank it? Do we sort it in some way? How do we piece it together to build a better answer? And then consider is that metacognitive stage that you were mentioning before. So that's um, concept, conflict, construct, consider. And when I proposed that and I wrote my first book um, about 11, 12 years ago, I thought, well, I'm going to have to distinguish between the learning pit, the metaphor for learning and this model of um, teaching that helps you to plan lessons. And so I called it the learning challenge. And so in effect, the learning challenge helps to guide students through the learning pit. Right, okay, yeah, so it's how you get them through it rather than just the metaphor for exactly. what, what it actually okay. is. Okay, yes. that makes sense. And why do you think, because I, I mean, I know obviously challenge is a national issue and, it, and it's obviously not something that's ever going to go away. Kids are always going to, mm. you know, resist mm. ultimately working because that's that's the whole thing. I try and say to people is that kids, young people, they don't generally always want to work hard. None of us really want to think hard. Our brain's not programmed to do that. Um, but why do you still think people fall into traps of not um, not making the lessons uh, challenging enough or not making those desirable difficulties for kids? Why, why do you think that might be, James? Why do you think people avoid Well, I think there's there's many, many, many reasons. Um, so I'm, I'm certainly not going to give you a complete answer, but let me give no. you a, a few uh, possibilities. One is that um, we've got such an overstuffed curriculum um, and when I say we, uh, uh, yes, I'm, I, I, you're, you're, you're thinking about and been talking English curriculum there, but um, I, I'm on the border here. Two of my kids go to a Scottish school and one to an English school. And okay, they're slightly different. But when I say we, I mean educators generally, right. because, you know, it's the same everywhere. Yeah. Um, everybody's got a curriculum of one sort or another. And a curriculum is important because it identifies the bodies of knowledge that has been uh, yeah. decided is important. So, But the problem is we've got a lot to get through and we've got way too many kids in each class with such varying needs. And of course, right now, as everybody will say, even more needs than they ever had before. So the problem is we have gone into a habit often, not always, but often of let's just get through this stuff Yeah. rather than thinking, okay, what is absolutely necessary and what is it that if I get them deeply involved in it will then actually enable them to pick everything else up? So yeah. that's that's where the thinking skills movement came from. When um, mm-hmm. Carol McGuinness wrote a paper in 1999 about we have to teach kids how to think as well as what to think. And the problem was then we swung from uh, a knowledge-rich curriculum to a thinking skills-rich yeah. curriculum as if it was an either-or. Well, actually, you know what? We've got to do both. Um, you <laughs> know, what, that's what we've got to do now, isn't it? Backwards and forwards between them. And, and what this is about is saying, you know what, 
instead of, for example, teaching them the information about the Viking invasion of Britain, let's yeah. think about what are the skills of research, the skills of essay writing, the skills of investigation, the skills of argumentation, the skills of uh, referencing and reasoning. Why don't we st start with that, right? What are the skills the learning skills that we will teach through the context of the uh, Viking invasion yeah. of Britain. So my lesson planning now is something along the lines of I'm going to teach them how to ask um, related and specific and thought-provoking questions about the Viking invasion of Britain, rather than I'm going to teach them about the Viking invasion of Britain. So that, yeah. that's the emphasis there. Um, and I think also that's one part of it. We've got a very busy curriculum. I think mm -hmm. another part of it is the praise that we give all too often rewards success rather than rewards imagination, deliberation, focus, effort, and so on. So when if you ask most kids in a in a school, so which which of these two scores, 10 out of 10 or 6 out of 10, which one of those are you going to get praise for? They're like, well, 10 out of 10, of course. Mm. So which one are you more, if I give you an easy test or a more difficult test, which one are you more likely to get 10 out of 10 on? They say, well, the easy test. So why do you think then that they pick the easy test or they go yeah. for the easier option? Because they know that if they get it right, if they finish quickly, if they are the best at it, they will be praised, they will be rewarded. And so I think part of our praise, and I mean, you know, this is nothing new. I'm, I'm, I'm in effect, what I'm doing is paraphrasing Carol Dweck's work here. You know, yeah. what we've got to do is emphasize a different part of the learning process. So instead of rewarding achievement, we, or rather attainment, that's probably the better word, instead of a rewarding attainment. Or, or performance even really, isn't it? It's yeah, exactly, performance. performance. Let's reward learning. Let's reward progress. Let's emphasize um, growth. So, for example, Seb, I would say, please never put kids' artwork on the walls unless you also put their earlier efforts side by side. Mm. So don't ever put, just their finished work on the walls because what that is saying is look what we've done at the end rather than putting what we should be doing is putting here's their first iteration here was their development and that is probably a photocopy or a photograph possibly but here's their early version here's a, the improved one and now here's their final side by side on the wall now it's a celebration of progress and celebration. No, yeah, that's interesting. When you when you first said that in the first part, I was a bit oh, I was a bit in shock there. I thought, wow, yeah. I'm going to get. But then as you continue, it's basically you're saying rather than nice walls, you want in a way messy walls because learning is messy, isn't it? Like you're you're well, it is, absolutely yeah. So it might make it a bit messy, but you know what? If you want to see the top art, go to an art gallery. Yeah. If you want to yeah. see learning we ought to be able to say, go to a school and see learning. You yeah. see, I, I mean, I, I got expelled from two high schools. I hated the flaming places, absolutely loathed <laughs> them, you know, and, um, and that's why I went into teaching, thinking surely I can do better than the Muppets yeah. taught me, you know. I bet I many, many people, are, I think, in that situation. Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, like the art departments, you go to an art department in a secondary school, how intimidating are they for the mere mortals like myself who cannot draw to save my life? Because no, 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 no. on the walls are these utterly stunning pieces of artwork.
Whereas if what they had was the ones that went wrong, together with the stunning work or the, yeah. what their, their drafts, their, their models, side by side with the improved. And I'm not just talking art here. I mean, my, um, the best, best bit of learning, my eldest who's um, uh, in S4, that's Scottish, so that's a, that's a year 11 in the English system. Um, she, uh, best learning she's done recently she came out of school quite irate that they'd been given a maths test without any warning. And, you know, this was against her human rights, you know, and <laughs> they've not been told to revise for it. And the following day, she came out quite happy, and we were like pleased for her, of course, and said, "So why it happened?" Said, uh, "Oh well, we got our maths test back." And we said, "Oh yeah, how did he do?" She said, "I got forty percent." And we're like, her mother and I are thinking, "Well, why in the hell are you smiling then?" But we didn't say that. We said, "Okay, so tell us more." And she said, "Now the maths teacher said that was actually the practice." Now we know where we're starting from. They're getting the actual test in two weeks' time. That yeah. kid did the best focused revision and study she's ever done in maths, and she came out two weeks later with 83%. And the celebration was not she got 83% compared to her mate who got, for example, 75% or whatever. No. It was she had moved from 40 to 83. I was doing a jig of celebration because that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. That underpins my work. Yeah, society no, does too much of recognizing gold, silver, bronze. I think we also, and notice I said also, not instead of, we also have to champion progress. So we have to not just look at the 83%, we have to look at the 40 to 83%. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. And, um, you know, it, it, that whole focus on, on progress, obviously, is a, is a judgment, but I still agree with you that I think the end goal is more. I mean, the art thing's interesting because when you see the artwork in the secondary school, that is the product of, you know, I've seen stunning pieces in my schools that I've worked in. But yeah. I know that kid has worked for hours and hours and on that piece of work. Now, that's fine because that's what it takes. But you don't see that. And so sometimes, yeah, you know, my, my daughter's only 11 and, you know, she went to the open morning. She went, oh, wow, look at this. And she goes, but I'd never be able to do that. And I said, but why? This is five years away. But but it was so intimidating that she said, yeah, but I'd never be able to. I'm not talented enough to do that. I haven't got the yeah. ability. Yeah. And I was really annoyed with her, but I understood why she said it. And I said, mm -hmm. no, you, you've got to realise that's taken them months to do. But yes. I, get, I get what you're saying. It's not obvious to someone looking at it. That it that really isn't. And we have to make it way more obvious. I really honestly think that And every parent's evening, when the parents say, how's my child doing in relation to everyone else? We only ever answer that question with, here's how your child is doing in relation to how your child was doing last term. Mm, yeah. We have to focus on progress. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. society already does enough rewarding grades and medals and trumpeting the, the, the supreme performers. They already do that. So what I think we need to do is not forget that because that's how life is, but to champion and to amplify that progress, do everything we can to recognize that. And it's not an either or. You know, funnily enough, the more progress they make, the better the grades are going to be anyway. Of so that's what I'm doing with the learning pit is I want my students to recognize and to viscerally feel this sense of, look at me, I've overcome this, I've figured it out. Or look at us, we've figured it out. Wow. I want every single group that I've ever get to do group work, I want every single one of them 
to think we figured it out, not we did the very best production of the whole class. We yeah. figured it out. That's the key. Yeah, of course. And I think that um, just to end on, I think a good takeaway for any anybody listening to, to this, because I know we've got a lot of listeners. We have a lot of people will listen to this afterwards. Don't, uh, James has a podcast and download it. Um, one takeaway I think I would have is that idea of when you plan a lesson to go back to your Viking example, don't, yeah. don't look at what is the, the mere content I want them to be able to mm. get. Because mm. it's surface level, like you say, and I might remember those facts at the end of that lesson, but I'm not going to really deeply understand why the Vikings invaded or, you know, the problems, what they had to get. So I think you're right. I think looking at lesson planning as, you know, the depth necessary or the skills necessary as opposed to, mm. and the concept, the key concepts, which I know some schools do, people put that in for their curriculums or whatever, but I still think the go-to for most teachers probably is, Right, what am I going to get through in an hour? What stuff can I give them for an hour that's going to facilitate them, you know, filling in a sheet at the end and sticking it in? So, um, no, really interesting to chat. Now, listen, James, I could chat to you all night about this because it is fascinating stuff. Um, and I'm really glad you've joined us and given me your time. There's loads more things I wanted to talk to you about, um, but we are going to run out of time and I've got another guest to come. Yeah. Um, so just a big shout out to you for, for coming on and sharing your time with us. Um, I wish you all the best of luck with what you're doing. Um, I, I, I completely agree with a lot of what you're saying about education and um, and that's really lovely to hear. Mm. Well, thank you and uh, thanks for the invitation, Seb, and uh, uh, good luck with all your ventures too. Thank you very much, James. Take care. See all you soon. Cheers, mate. Bye. Right, so that was uh, James Nottingham there uh, from The Learning Pit. And uh, if you obviously want to know more, you can Google it. Like you said, you'll get millions of hits. Uh, the website is thelearningchallenge.com uh, and you can see all of his ideas, the work that he does across the world, uh, the key but like, the key concepts. But ultimately, like you said, it's really just a metaphor um, and he's not really selling any big, you know, set of resources for people to buy and say this is a silver bullet for education. But what he is doing is uh, offering a, a way for students to think uh, about their learning and certainly for us as educators to think about how we're guiding kids through that process. So that was really fascinating. Lots of links to Carol there as well. Um, I think Carol's probably been on someone's show already, probably Kate Jones. Uh, she gets the big names. Um, but yeah, if Carol hasn't, then someone please let me know and we'll, we'll, we'll try and get in touch with her and get her on as well. Um, but brilliant. Yeah, so that was really fab. Um, we've got, um, if you've got any more comments about the learning pit, uh, now that James has uh, left us, um, please, you can click call in at any point or you can message me on the text um, and tell me what your thoughts were. Did you agree with what he said? Did you vehemently disagree? Um, do you think it's a load of nonsense um, or whatever you want to say? We are open to all different opinions uh, from wherever you're listening from across the world. Um, we are going to probably go to a quick news break if I can uh, get this to work. Um, and then when I'm back, we will be looking at banned books week. So have a be have a little think about books uh, that you know are banned, or do you do ban books week, or what books maybe should be banned? Um, that'd be controversial, wouldn't it? Right. Let me see now. Uh, bear with me. I think this is the right news broadcast. If it isn't, um, I'll have to turn it off, won't I? But I'm pretty sure this is uh, today's news. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Megan Goods. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. 
The government has laid out plans to make offering, advertising or providing essay writing services to university and college students for financial gain illegal. The new measure will be part of the Skills and Post-16 Education Bill, which hopes to transform further and technical education. The Department for Education said it hopes the criminalisation of SA Mill services will stop students from falling prey to deceptive marketing techniques from contract cheating services. The latest coronavirus figures show that 204,000 students were absent in England last week due to contracting or having close contact with the virus. This equates to 1 in 40 students off school in England, up from 1 in 80 on September the 7th. Teaching unions have called the statistics grim and fear it is the unvaccinated status of the majority of 10 to 19 year olds that is causing the rise. That was your latest Teachers Talk Radio News. Live from London, this is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to the Drive Home Show. It is 7th, the 7th of October and just coming up to 5 o'clock. Today we are going to be talking to uh, Gemma, who is uh, a teacher who uses Banned Books Week to promote students' reading. Banned Books Week, a good idea or a bad idea? Stay in tuned and find out more. Live from London. This is The Drive Home with Seb Ventura on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live on the Podbean app or desktop player. Just head over to www.podbean.com slash lsw slash ttradio or search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag ttradio. Right, okay, so I feel like I'm getting gaining a bit more confidence, getting back into my old ways uh, with the show. Uh, the Chromebook seems to be behaving itself, um, which is interesting, actually, because this opens up a whole new world for me, because doing the drive home show at four, as you can imagine, uh, I've been racing to get home against traffic quite often on the Thursday, but maybe this Chromebook is a game changer, because I might actually be able to broadcast from school or from any other kind of... Uh, exotic location I can find, such as a Costa or somewhere, providing it's got decent Wi-Fi. But anyway, that might be one for the one for the future. Suggestions, please, on a postcard of where you would like me to broadcast. I actually remember Tom Rogers, who set up Teach Talk Radio Broadcasting once from Edinburgh, I think. And I did remember thinking, how's he doing that on his phone? But clearly he was just using a Chromebook. Sorry, I'm a little bit uh, slow with that pickup. But my home computer was always a safer bet for me. Uh, with the Wi-Fi, etc. Anyway, enough about that. I hope everyone is well. I hope you all um, had a good week. It's Friday tomorrow. Woo! Uh, remember, that is one of the best things about doing listening to my show. I will remind you that it's nearly the end of the week. And hopefully many of you, it's only a couple of weeks left. Maybe you've got two weeks off for half term. I know some schools have. I know some schools haven't. But um, that depends when you went back, I guess. But yeah, if you've got two weeks off, then, uh, you know, live it up, I would say. It probably means you went back in August, so, so you're probably already, uh, you know, 
nearly oh, dead on your feet. But anyway, we'll keep going. And remember the great job everybody's doing and uh, how you're helping all those students who missed out so much. And actually, thinking of Corona, I haven't mentioned Corona for quite a while um, because well, I think everyone's just acting like it's not there when it clearly is. But um, interesting on that news broadcast there about Corona because I don't know how... I know one school I went to last week, they said that they brought back, brought back masks. So when I sort of drilled down on this and asked the head why he'd done it, he said because the numbers of cases had, had, had gone over a certain amount. So I think if your cases go over a certain amount, then it trips Public Health England to say, you know, to make, to. Yeah, I don't think you have to put masks in, but I think they, they advise you strongly that you've got a high amount of cases. So I wonder what their vibe is out there with everybody else um, listening in, whether you're primary, secondary, whether you're, you know, sixth form, whether you're in, a, in a, another country outside the UK, what is the uh, corona restrictions now? Is it completely gone? Uh, is it something you think is going to come back? What are the cases like in your school? I mean, everyone talks about young people getting it. Luckily, the schools I've been in, it hasn't been that bad. Um, but maybe that was because we had it earlier on and there's some sort of resistance there now. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm not even going to pretend to be a scientist and know anything about this stupid virus. But anyway, let's hope we can all stay back doing what we like to do uh working hard getting these kids where they need to be and closing those poor gaps that a lot of these kids have got through half the time no fault of their own from having to do lockdown learning or not having the equipment to do it properly so that's a challenge in itself and it's going to be a long time until we uh get through this i reckon right anyway on a more positive note we're going to be talking about banned books week in a moment with Gemma clark who's going to call me up um and we're going to speak to her about how she uses it. Um, a bit of background on Gemma. Now, funnily enough, uh, James just said he was uh, phoning from the border, and and I've got a strong feeling. Just checking my uh, my Twitter now. I think Gemma Clark is also. I think she teaches in Scotland actually, so that will be interesting to know um, how things are different up there. No, it doesn't actually say, but I'm pretty sure I saw somewhere. Um, she's a psychology graduate. She writes for the TES, um, and that's how I um, find out about her. Really, she did um, an article in the TES about Banned Books Week, um, and that's when I got in touch with her. So, Banned Books Week, essentially, for those of you who don't know, or things people that have just joined us, is a week where you introduce your students to books that have been banned in either this country or other countries, either now or in the past. And what you do is use them as a vehicle to explore um what possible reasons those books were banned whether it was a, a religious reason or a, a gender reason or a, something to do with um, sexual preference and then you use that as a way to get kids into realizing their own opinions right i can hear a bit of rustling around there um in the background i've let Gemma into the studio uh Gemma, are you there hi there hi Gemma. you have you are phoning from scotland aren't you i am right yes with that, yes i am Excellent. And uh, have you always taught in Scotland, Gemma, have you, in your whole life? Yes, I've always been here. I've always lived here. Fantastic. And whereabouts are you in Scotland, Gemma? I'm in the west of Scotland, central belt. Right. Okay, um, quite good. Quite central in the mainland. Oh, lovely. Right. This, uh, so that's interesting because my last caller, James, he was he was phoning from, I'm not sure where, but he's on the border, he says, somewhere. He's got one kid in a school in England and one in, in Scotland, so I'm not sure where that means he is. Oh, but, that's funny. Yeah, it's strange. Right. Well, anyway, thanks for joining us, Gemma. Thanks for um, having me. I really apologise for last week. It was an absolute technical meltdown. 
um, from my point of view, but that's fine because we're here now. Um, and I've had a bit more time to talk about, to think about Band Books Week and research a bit more. So I feel a little bit more up with the program. But can you just tell us, well, first of all, when when you learned about it and when you started doing it, first of all? Um, I discovered it on social media a few years ago. Um, I'm quite into books and reading and I, I kind of stumbled across it and then looked into it a bit more. Um, so I just found the whole concept really interesting especially when you look into the kind of books that get banned. It's not like this cancel culture that we're always hearing about. It's actually liberal books, um, books with LGBT characters that are prone to mm -hmm. getting banned a lot. So it's it's a really interesting thing. It's not just for schools, it's for anybody, really. It's meant to be a celebration of the freedom to read and intellectual right. freedom. Right, okay. So, that yeah, so it's not necessarily aimed at schools. It's just a worldwide thing to get people thinking about books, I suppose, and freedom of speech. Yeah, that's interesting. So then is it is it an American thing? Is that where it started from, that it's, it's common in America, or is it not from there? Maybe I've misunderstood. Yeah, it seems to be a bigger thing in America. Um, hopefully right. it'll catch on in other countries. I mean, there are some UK accounts, but they don't seem to be that active or that busy but it does seem to be um a reasonably reasonably big thing in america yeah that's what's going to be my next question do you know if of any schools in the uk obviously aside from yourself do you know any other colleagues or other schools that you know that, that do this ban books week i don't but i'm hoping it will catch on because <laughs> i just think it's such a great idea and, and when children see reading as something rebellious then it makes them want to do it Absolutely. So so let's talk about it a bit more in detail then. So um, I looked at some of the books that were, like you say, some of it was the LGBT, you know, cute, that stuff. But the um, there was other other reasons as well, wasn't there? There's lots of reasons these books are on the list. And this banned books list is the one that you use all the time or is that changing all the time? Um, there's usually a kind of a l online you can get the list of the books that have been banned most that year um, right. so it changes from year to year because for quite a long time it was The Handmaid's Tale um, obviously that book was right. written in the 80s so that's that's been a around for a long time but the last like three years in a row it's been George by Alex Gino um, right. that's the most yeah. commonly banned book at the moment so yeah, it changes from year a, to tell year Tell us a bit about that because I started to um, research that a little bit to find out a bit more about it T tell us a bit about the alex gino book and why you think that's always on the list yeah it was, i love this book so it's it's um, by an author called alex gino and on the blurb on the back it says when people look at george they think they see a boy but she knows she's not a boy she knows she's a girl um so i did this with our older primary class um, and I explained to him about, about banned book week and how this book gets banned a lot. And although if, I kept checking him and saying, oh, have you come across anything bad yet that should be banned? And they were like, no, why mm. would you ban this book? Mm. Um, so it's, it's basically just the experience of a young trans girl kind of working out who she is and her experience of, of the world and how it feels like when, to be called a boy when she knows that she's not and things right. like that and then reaching out to a friend who's really understanding and it's, it's just a great book and a lot of the children in my class afterwards said no oh, I didn't really understand this before but I think I understand it now and if I had a friend who was transgender I think I'd be a much better friend to them now because I understand. Yeah. No massive I mean I think that is the thing that I found most fascinating when I started looking into it um, before you know when I knew you were coming on the show is the idea that you read these books to younger children especially your you know primary and that they don't understand why it's banned. That's what I love about it. Yeah, exactly, know? because children don't have, they don't have these kind of prejudices. They don't have homophobia and transphobia unless they're taught that. So, mm. yeah, they often can't get their heads around why you would ban books like this. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look and compare it to films, it's, it's very different. But, you you know, you can see a film that was banned, I don't know, yeah, The Exorcist or some extreme horror or violence, or whatever, and you can see why, can't you? You can think, yeah. well, actually... 
that's probably not appropriate. And you don't really want that. Even though I'm, I'm massive on the free, you know, censorship thing, I, I don't think, you know, works of art should be censored anyway, but that's a separate argument. But, you know, you can see that with film and you can kind of think, all right, well, but with this, it's kind of more, it's, I don't know, it seems more dangerous in a way because it's, like you say, if these kids don't understand, don't think there's anything wrong going on. Um, you know, it's like, why are they not being exposed to it? Yeah, exactly. And there's always a lot of kind of drama made in the media when there's discussion about at secondary schools, maybe moving on from books like Mockingbird because there's some racist content. It's very one sided coverage. You'd think it was only books like that that are being banned, but it tends much more to be liberal books. Um, mm -hmm. And I see banning and picking better resources as being two different things. Like you might decide actually this text is quite dated and there's some, you know, kind of messages in it that are wrong, but that you know, finding a text that's better to teach doesn't mean that you've banned the book and that you're not allowing children access to it. I see that as different things. Oh, totally. And also it's context, isn't it? Because like yeah. I say, again, you know, with older with, with films or with older books, I mean, I don't think I've ever ran, read a book that's been banned, so I, I, maybe I need to do that. But, um, you know, with films, again, you can think, oh, the context of it then compared to now, people's attitudes have changed. But it is interesting what you're saying about it being more liberal books as opposed to strong you know, if it was some strong, like you say, racist or anti-Semitic book, you could you could get that almost. But when yeah. it's more, it's actually more liberal and saying, let's all live, you know, let people live how they want to live, then you think, why would you ban that? Exactly. And when you look through the list, it is pretty much all liberal content. There's nothing you can think, oh, well, that's really offensive or racist mm. or anti-Semitic. There, there aren't books like that making the lists. No, of course not. And what about the, the when you sort of pitch this to the kids and you say it's, do you highlight the fact that, it, you know, it is other, other countries or other cultures' reasons for it? How do you bring that into it? Um, well, it's quite interesting because, like, Harry Potter, for example, that does get banned in schools in the UK. I know of schools who have banned that book. Uh, and what, in the they, UK? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've really? heard of a teacher who teaches in England um, whose school doesn't allow the books. Um, wow. And it's to do with a, a clash with religious ideology um, and thinking right. that people will, children will start to dabble in witchcraft. Oh, if they okay, read Harry right. Potter and that that's yeah. a sort of gateway to that. But I think there's so right. many interesting discussions in that. Like for one, just because you read a story about witchcraft doesn't mean that you're going to take it up. And two, witchcraft is misunderstood anyway. It's a kind of peaceful, mm. spiritual practice that a lot of people mm. adopt. So even if yeah. even if it did generate some interest in that, why is that necessarily a bad thing? No, but that's like you say, that's a, there's two, two whole elements to that, isn't there? I yeah. mean, God, if I was going to you know be worrying about that like even like philip pullman and stuff you could you could argue couldn't you like the, the first time i read northern lights trilogy you know i was i was actually quite shocked i thought well this is a kid's book and actually it's dabbling with a lot of issues of you know the afterlife and death etc there's strong religious you know connotations isn't there in that book but yeah. I, I, but i might think on one level all right will a kid get that or will they understand that but i certainly wouldn't think oh and they shouldn't read it but um, the Potter thing's crazy, I think, really. I know, and I think a lot of people push the narrative that the book gets banned because people want to cancel J.K. Rowling, and that's not the case. It is about no. how the books clash with religious ideology. I'm not a particular fan of J.K. Rowling. I don't like the things that she's mm. tweeted. I find it transphobic. I think she's hurt a lot of people who are big fans of the book. Yeah, but that's yeah. worth a discussion with children as well. Like, do you cancel the books or do you take the message of the book you know, yeah. because I think the message of the book is to accept people who are different. And I think yeah, that's a discussion course. worth having. Um, like, personally, I wouldn't know, 
you know, pay to get into Harry Potter world or anything like that. I just, I'm quite conscious of, of what, <laughs> well, of what I fund, money. but I think the books themselves, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's expensive, but yeah, so although I'm not a fan of that author because of some of the transphobia that she's put on Twitter, I don't necessarily think that's a reason to deny children access to the books. Of course, and you can detach the, you know, the author's persona from the actual fiction itself, can't you? I mean, you know, I, obviously I've, I've, I've read the Potter books as well, and, the, the films etc and I you know I think it's just good storytelling it obviously you know captures kids imaginations and I think you're always going to get that you know wizardry and boarding school kind of vibe and it's just got some good characters hasn't it but it doesn't necessarily mean we have to agree with everything she says. Yeah and I think there's just something about Harry Potter like I've seen classes before where there's been kids that they, they're just not interested in reading they don't want to know but there's something about Harry Potter that just captures their imagination and they'll, yeah. they'll want to read the books. And that is surely, like you say, the, the goal of all of this, especially yeah. this book suite, but in general, is that, you know, we, it's hard enough getting to kids to read anyway, isn't it? Without, yeah. you know, you can't, I don't think as adults, we should even start saying, oh, yeah, that's not a good book, or don't read that, or that author's not. I think you just got, you can't go down that road. You, you've got to make them, obviously, you've got to let kids know that some books, they might not like them, and this, it's acceptable to, you know, give up on a book um, if you don't find it interesting, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, I think in this day and age, because children are so used to having games and screens and the instant gratification, that maybe doesn't come naturally anymore to put in the effort that it takes to read a book. So, you know, I think the interesting discussions you can have because of Banned Book Week and, of course, making it seem like a rebellious thing to do is something that makes it quite appealing. As soon as I know a book's banned, I want to read it. I guess it's probably going to be good. And your children pick up on that as well. But, yeah, I I agree as well. Like, I always say to children at reading time in school, I want you to persevere with it through this 10 minutes because you need to give it a chance. But if you're not interested in it after that, you can pick another one for next time. Yeah, I know. I I hate that. You know, I've done that myself before. I, like, push myself to... And obviously, you do get the odd book, don't you, where it's a slow burner or, you know, it takes you time and then actually at the end you think, well, it was worth that. But but other times, I think if you're not not hooked in, in the first few chapters or fourth chapters, then I just think, well... You know that that author hasn't you know whatever hasn't tried it made me appeal to me so i'm not gonna give up my time forcing myself to read it so you said um interesting so you went to the potter there with the uk but what about um worldwide then about how do you how do you mention i guess my question is how do you mention oh this is banned in i don't know france or wherever it is iraq um without sort of putting down that country's culture how do you get around that um, um, I think America is quite a good comparison because they're a pretty similar culture to ours here. So most of the banned books lists come from America and they're books that we know and have access to here. So it's quite a a, a good country to talk about because it compares quite well. Um, right, so it's not yeah. like you're kind of, you know, yeah, you know, criticising a different culture because their culture is very similar. Yeah, of course. And I guess if you if you did say, use like, I don't know, China or somewhere that's far, far away from the students understanding in this country anyway, I think there might be a, a, an, easy, an easy way to just sort of dismiss it, isn't it? As, oh, that's that's a completely different culture to us. Therefore, they do. You know, I mean, obviously, Japanese, you know, people read the book the other way around, don't they, for starters, which I always love telling kids that because they yeah. can't. They can't handle it when they find that out um, <laughs> because it's just that's a classic cultural example, isn't it? Of how, oh, you know, they do it. What people might say they do it wrong. And we say, well, actually, maybe we do it wrong. You know, so, um, yeah, so that's good. So you mainly, mainly stick with America because it's easier to pitch that, I guess. 
yeah and they understand the reasons like at first I think the kids are like oh is this illegal are you breaking the law are you going to get in trouble but, and like, <laughs> yeah. you know it's explaining to young children oh it doesn't mean that the book's illegal it doesn't mean that you can't get it it means that lots of people have tried to get it banned from schools and libraries to stop you having easy access to it yeah, so it doesn't yeah. mean you're breaking the law it just means that it's a book that people try to ban from public places yeah I mean I suppose there's all that that you know that line into kind of you know the Hitler's Germany as well as of, of taking taking things away or, or, or other situations in history where people have tried to control societies by you know not letting them see books kind of thing um I, I always love that bit do you know the film Interstellar no I haven't seen it right well in in that Christopher Nolan film in, in that there's a, a lovely little scene where it's set in the future basically but he lovely little scene where the dad goes to school with his daughter and, the, and they talk about textbooks and how you know the, this the, the world's got rid of these textbooks because they're they're telling people stuff they didn't want them to know they didn't want society to know that stuff that actually happened and the dad and the parents even get really annoyed because he knows it did happen anyway it's a bit of a sideline but it's, it's a good little scene about that idea of, of taking books away so um so did you do it from monday to friday then or, or did you do it all last week or did you just do it on one day how did you actually structure it all? Um, I started speaking about it last week um, and last week we just finished a novel um, and we started Harry Potter this week and we spoke about that as an example of a book that gets banned. Um, right, so they were interested right. and they were asking about lots of other ones and I mentioned The Hate You Give and um, they asked about that and I said well it's not that I would ban that book and stop you from reading it but the content is a bit too mature for primary age. So I said so it's something right. you read when you're older but yes. sometimes it means that you know sometimes the content just isn't appropriate for your age and that's not the same as banning the book. Yeah, yeah. Do you get any like problems from parents or anything like that saying why are you doing this or you know, like you say, if it, if it was you wouldn't you obviously you know you're professional, you wouldn't you wouldn't introduce them to something that's not applicable. But do you have you had any problems or parents saying why are you doing these banned books or anything, or are they just not aware of it? No, I never I've never had any problems. I think because the children understand the concept so well and I think the main thing is to just make sure that the books that you use in school are age appropriate. Yeah. Um, you know, other than that, Scotland is going to be the first or is now the first country in the world to have LGBT inclusion embedded into the curriculum. So, I mean, if ever there was any question, then the legislation is on your side um, on that kind of thing. Right, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think, you know, prejudices like that should really be entertained anyway. No, of course you know, not. So. Yeah. Um, just had a caller there trying to call in. If you want to try again, that's great. If you want to join the conversation. Uh, sorry, Gemma, I don't know whether that person is calling in to join in with what we're saying or to discuss with Gemma a uh, difference of opinion I don't know but if you if you want to try again it might have just been a a finger slip accident I don't know but if you if that person who was just trying to bring in uh, wants to try again then then be be my guest um yeah so you, so parents are fine with it and then so you picked that Potter book and then have you done other ones what did you do in the previous years did you do different ones um yeah with younger classes um I've done the book Untangle Makes Three so this is a lovely kind of children's illustrated books it's the true story about two little penguins in central park zoo so penguins always couple up and they stay together oh, for yeah. life like humans yeah. so there was these two wee boy penguins who had coupled up and the zookeepers could tell that that they were together and they were going to stay together um, and there was an abandoned egg that they gave to the boys um, right. and the boys looked after it and um, took turns keeping it warm like any other couple of penguins would do hatch the chick, raise the chick, look after it. It was, it was just a lovely story. And there's a bit in the book where it says, Entangle was the first penguin to have two daddies. 
Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, so again, a lot of kids, children are just baffled why you would ban that book. People, they say, oh, course, that's a lovely yeah. story. Why would you ban it? And the reason it gets banned is because yeah, yeah. people are homophobic. Promoting, promoting that. Yeah, I know. But, that, but isn't that brilliant? Because I saw that example as well on the website and I was like, I was, I literally was reading it going, it took me like a few seconds to, to actually process like why I don't get it. What is it about the penguin that's so offensive? And, and then you realise... You know, that's just, it's going against the norm, isn't it? It's going against the, the social norms. And so people, you know, don't want to promote it. But this is the thing, is it promoting it? To, to, get, to get a kid to read that book, is it, like you said earlier, that doesn't mean they're going to go out then and, and have a same-sex marriage or, you know, do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not making them do it, is it? Yeah, you can't. I mean, a person's sexuality is no, no. It's not something you can choose. They're not really no. aware of that at that age anyway. All no. it does do is let them say, you know, there's lots of different types of people and different types of family and who exactly. you are and who your family is is okay. And that's it. It's the tolerance issue, isn't it? Basically, that you've got a lovely little story, but there's a sort of moral of the story, but you, you know, which is probably not even deliberate, is it? It's probably just there um to you know to illustrate a point i guess but um oh that's lovely what's that story called again Gemma? entangle makes three right okay um, and it, is that actually a children's book or is it a um, yeah it's a children's book it's all pictures and illustrated right. it's for sort of right. kind of infant ages sort of early oh, okay. stages. yeah really young ones oh that's really yeah. cute that's that's really sweet and and what year do you teach do you have a set year you teach general do you change each year um, I don't have a set year, we change each year. I'm, I've usually got the older children, but not always. I have had infants before in the past. Right, um, so right. yeah, I've still got all my kind of books for the younger stages. I hoard them in case I ever go back to the, you know, down the school. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. I've got I've got hundreds of them, don't worry, in my uh, in my cupboards that I should do something with. Um, right. Well, anyway, that was really lovely, Gemma. Thank you for, for getting back to me. And, um, you know, sorry about last week. So I appreciate you giving up your time this week to join us and telling us a bit about it. And and hopefully this can be something like you say that maybe other schools in the UK pick up and it becomes a bit more of a big um, a big concept because I think it's definitely a, a way in, isn't it? It's a way yeah. into reading. I hope um, so. I mean, I've discovered a lot of great books through it, like The Hate You Give. I love that book. I don't think it's appropriate for primary school, but it really no. contextualises racism and the difference between prejudice and systemic racism which has lethal consequences i think it's oh, a right. great example if you're teaching yeah. who's, class to who's give that, that example who's that um, by that's by angie thomas right and that and that is that appropriate for sort of teenagers and above or yeah sort of teenagers i would say so it's it's really interesting because it's about a black girl whose friend is shot by the police um, and in the media, they try and make out, oh, he was dealing drugs, he was a thug, like trying to justify mm -hmm. that this young black boy was was killed when he'd done nothing wrong. And also the girl has a white boyfriend and her dad's not happy. So it really shows the difference. Like the white boy isn't being harmed much by her dad not being happy, whereas right, her right. friend was killed. And it, it really gives you a concrete example of the difference between prejudice and racism. Right, excellent. Yeah, no, that's a, that's another one that um I've not heard of. But I'm sure other other listeners will have heard of that. But um, but yeah, that's another great recommendation for for teenagers. So brilliant. Okay, so thanks very much, Gemma. I'll we'll have to let you go and and get on with your evening. Have a when are you breaking up for half term? Tomorrow's our last day. I can't wait. Oh, tomorrow. What is that about? That's super early. Did you go back in the end of August then? Really early? Or... Yeah, we're back middle of August. Yeah, right, so we've been back yeah. for. Oh, yeah, so slightly different up there. Well, you're very lucky. Well done for getting through another term. Yeah, and, um, yeah. have you just you won't got the get one? there. We will get there, yeah. I'm just closing my eyes and uh, <laughs> waiting to come <laughs> But are you, um, have you just got the one week off? Yeah, just a week. 
Okay, well, have a lovely time up there in Scotland, and uh, thanks for joining us on Teacher Talk Radio, Gemma. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. Take care. See you next time. Bye bye. Okay, so that was Gemma Clark there. Um, really, really um, uh, happy to have Gemma on her because she she booked me out in her diary last week and then it all went a bit uh, peak tong and uh, she's managed to book me out again in her diary this week to come on and talk to us about that. So thanks very much to Gemma and also thanks to James Ayer for giving up his time to explain, uh, going to loads of detail about his beliefs on the challenge and the learning pit amongst other things. We're going to have a quick ad break. Don't go away. It's coming up uh, to quarter past five. Um, we've still got time for some more call-ins and some messages and some chat, um, but but I'll just join us after these adverts. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Hello everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. I'm your host, Deanna Lynn Cook, making space for honest conversations about black British, Caribbean and African history. Here to teach you all the things left out of your school books. Make sure you subscribe to the History Hotline on all good podcast platforms. Follow us on social media at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter to find out about new upcoming episodes. Do you struggle with people-pleasing? Is it a constant battle managing different and difficult personalities? Why not inspire, challenge and empower your team through the MALCPD Essential Coaching Skills for School Leaders course? Or gain practical skills to become a strong and compassionate leader through the Assertive Leadership and the Emotionally Intelligent Leader courses? All MALCPD courses are accredited by the Institute of Leadership and Management. Find out more at www.malcpd.com. Yeah, uh, welcome back there. Um, and um, yeah, hope happy Thursday to everybody. Um, I normally do at the beginning of the show my little football update. But obviously, it's an international break uh, this week, so I won't be talking much about football. You'll be glad to hear. But obviously, um, there are a couple of World Cup qualifiers coming up. Um, luckily managed to get myself a ticket for one of those. So I'm excited to go to Wembley Stadium, the new Wembley Stadium, which I haven't been to before uh, with my children who've never seen a live football game before. So that's going to be lots of uh, new things. Um, just on listening to the news there, just reminded me as well about uh, Black History Month, um, which again, obviously is taking place. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how much schools obviously do, do, do take it on board, but uh, is it as powerful as it used to be? Is it something we need to keep doing? Obviously we do, um, but does it, some people argue that it, it kind of makes it just about that one month, but uh, it still it still raises the profile. I'm, I'm sure um, there'll be other shows on Teacher Talk Radio this week, this week or this month where um, Black History Month will get um, discussed and debated in more detail. Um, but so keep your uh, ears peeled for that. Um, and just a little shout out for some other shows that are coming up. Um, we have got the Twilight Show. Leanne is on um, after me at six. Uh, later on, of course, as well, we've got Stacey Ray at 10 
And in the morning, we have Kate Jones with the breakfast show and another full day tomorrow. So we've got two days of actually one, two, three, or at least 10 shows between now and the end of Friday night. So it's it's back to back here on Teach Talk Radio. Um, again, if you want to get involved in the show, if you want it, if you fancy doing this job, being a host uh, or working with the back back behind the scenes team, um, drop us a line on the Teacher Talk Radio Twitter, which is uh, at TT Radio uh, 2021. Um, and yeah, just get in touch. We, we, uh, we're always looking for more people to grow, grow the station and grow, grow this experience and um, more topics, more people. So, um, yeah, we're going to finish up shortly. So um, if you want to win a Teachers Talk Radio shiny mug, um, then what you need to do is give me a call. Uh, click the call in button if you're listening in, which I know a lot of people are. I can see you uh, there on the Podbean. So I know you're there listening. Thank you for joining me. Um, but, yeah, if you give us a call, tell us about what you do, what you teach, uh, or comment on any of the things we've done today with the Learning Pit or with, with the Band Book Suite. Or if you just want to phone in and, and tell us about an experience of a lesson today or anything that's happened to you, uh, if you're a teacher, then just get in touch. Or even if you're not a teacher or you're part of something to do with education, uh, we'd love to hear from you here on the show. Um, and then if you do do that successfully and come through to me, um, you will guarantee yourself a Teachers Talk radio mug in the post. Um, yeah, we're coming up to 8,000 followers on Twitter now. Um, so um, that is fantastic as well. So keep keep telling your friends about us, keep spreading the word in the staff room. Um, next week, uh, I'm going to be looking at, potentially, I'm thinking along the lines of looking along the, um, the idea of uh, the difference between uh, that kind of what we talked about earlier, discovery learning um, and sort of more instructional, uh, direct instruction, and whether or not a school um, can you know, can you just get compliance to, to get things done or how much freedom should there be for st staff to uh, plan and deliver their lessons and how much should leadership teams have control over the structure of a lesson? And, you know, there's all Rosenshire's principles uh, banging around. There's loads and loads of different, um, you know, ways to structure a lesson banging around in the last few years. I've seen lots and lots more suggestions, but is that just a kind of recipe or should you just do what you think is right? But something along those lines, I'm going to have um, some more guests from, from different areas for me next week. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll firm that up on Twitter once I know. So as always, follow me if you can um, to get updates on my show and other bits and bobs. Um, and my Twitter handle is at TrippyTacker74, um, inspired by the TV programme Monkey from the 80s. Um, so, yeah, we're just coming up to the end now. Um I think we've had some great chats to sum up there. James Nottingham and the Learning Pit. Um, you know, fantastic points there about how we challenge kids and how we make them learn. All linked to the stuff that Professor Coe's done over the last, you know, decade as well with the thinking hard stuff. We, we all know that we only learn by engaging the brain. We want deep thinking, not surface level, don't we, from our kids. Um, but that is the stuff that's, that's painful. That's the stuff that hurts. Uh, same as when you're learning anything new. It's tiring, it's difficult, anything that's challenging, um, but we don't learn from coasting, do we? So, um, yes, that was really interesting to talk to James. A lot of overlaps with mindset with Carol Dweck, um, with um, some of the other stuff on uh, cognitive conflict and desirable difficulties. Um, and, yeah, just, just you know, making your lessons hard whilst trying to get through a packed curriculum and deal with 
you know, behavior management and routines and all the other bits and bobs you've got to do. Um, but just essentially, I guess what James was saying was re-look at your mindset about what you're actually getting the kids to do. Avoid the Mary Myatt, what Mary Myatt calls stuff. Avoid those things you put in just to fill up the time and try and put as much thinking time in there because ultimately they're going to remember more uh, and be able to recall more. That is the theory long term. But you may disagree. You may think I'm talking a load of nonsense. But anyway, um, we've got a few minutes left. So like I say, uh, call in, press uh, press the pop in call in button or message me on the text message uh, with anything you want to add about what we've done today or anything in general. We talked to Gemma there, Gemma Clark from Scotland, um, talking about how she used Band Books Week, um, which is a phenomenon um, in this, well, it's in America, but anywhere I can do it um, just to get kids to listen, to read books a bit more by basically getting them to have their interest peaked or their curiosity peaked by mentioning a book has been banned to make them think, oh, why is that? Why is that? And then you reel them in and the next thing you know, they're, they're reading and they're enjoying it and they don't even realise. And also opens up lovely, um, I mean, you could use it for citizenship or uh, PHSC or all sorts of lessons you could use it for in terms of, um, you know, wider curriculum to try and get people to understand uh, about tolerance and about difference and diversity and all of those using one of those books uh, and Gemma mentioned too there was one uh, I wrote it down one there about uh, transgender and one also about uh, racism so there was the hate you give and there was one called George I think by Alex Gino so they're books to look up but as always obviously any of this stuff that I've done today um, you know hopefully I've stimulated the people listening to learn something new you might want to go away and look those things up or uh, widen your understanding of it um and if not then that's fine you can just chill uh switch off after a busy day i'm sure but i really appreciate everyone listening today uh, i hope you enjoyed the show uh, obviously i'll whack this on the old Podbean podcast so you'll be able to listen to it through our website which is www.ttradio.org um all the shows are on there the back catalogs on there if you want to go back and you missed one uh and i'll be putting that on there straight away after um but yeah thanks for those people listening live uh hopefully um you enjoyed the show and there was lots of um interesting debate and discussion from my guests and also if you want to be a guest um anybody can be a guest you don't have to be an author or a writer or a public speaker of any sort you could i would just want teachers to call in and just discuss teaching and pedagogy and, and working with young people. So if you want to be a guest again, let me know, message me on the Twitter or through the message app, uh, drop me a line um, and we'll, we can get you on there. But that is basically us done. I think for today, um, I forgot my packed lunch. That's my little story from today. Made myself a packed lunch, uh, left it at home, got to work, realized that and i think i've had one packet of crisps and a and a, a sweet and a pack of sweets all day so i'm kind of running on empty now guys so sorry if my show's not been as sharp as it might have normally been but the good news is the chromebook seems to have behaved itself and worked so that should mean now i don't have to quit teacher talk radio uh due to technical issues i should be able to be live and direct with you uh every thursday um from now till the end of time so, yes, um, thanks for joining us. Um, take care. Uh, enjoy um, your Friday and your weekend. And um, as those nights begin to get darker, um, 
yes, just remember to wrap up warm, uh, keep healthy, keep safe. And um, yeah, let's hope we can get through this winter without um, another bloody lockdown. Eh? All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, and that is me over and out. See you next time. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.